guys, welcome to the latest episode of this unbelievable life. Today's guest and celebrating our 50th podcast is Becky Sawyer. She is currently working as the Survivor Services Navigator for Albion Fellows Bacon Center. She attended Ivy Tech Community College and Indiana University Bloomington before finding her place working in social services. She has worked in both mental health and addiction, but found her passion working with survivors of sexual and domestic violence. After her husband retired from the Marine Corps in 2018, they moved home to Southern Indiana, where she's been able to continue her wonderful work. She is a member of multiple committees, such as the Southern Indiana Regional Coalition Against Trafficking and Indiana Protection of Abused and Trafficked Humans. And she is the chairperson for our local Warwick County Voices for Change Task Force. When she's not working, she enjoys traveling as far and as often as possible, a girl after my own heart, and was able to cross Iceland off her list last year. Her husband and she can usually be found enjoying nature or chasing one of their four rescue dogs. Becky, take it away. Hi, so good to be here with you, Nikki. Thank you so much for inviting us to talk about one of the services that we offer. Albion does a lot of things, uh, but trafficking has become quite the hot topic in recent years and for good reason. So I'm happy that um, you have me here today. So, um, sex trafficking is the crime of using fraud, force, or coercion to induce another individual to sell sex. Um, I'm going to focus on sex trafficking today because that is what we actually work with here locally. I'm going to pepper in a little bit of topic um, regarding labor trafficking, but sex trafficking is um, Albion's actual work, and that's kind of what I specialize in at our agency. So when we think about trafficking, lots of times people have this uh, really interesting concept in their mind, and it's the movie Taken. It's a white van. It's some man who steals you and whisks you away. And um, while that can be what it looks like, it's typically not that at all. So um, part of what I want to do in this conversation is really dispel some of the myths that surround trafficking so that people in the community can um, understand it better and therefore help educate our community, uh, educate themselves, and then know how they can be a part of the solution. Um, so when we talk about sex trafficking and we're talking about fraud, force, or co coercion to induce another individual to sell sex, uh, common types of this, what it actually looks like in our community, so to speak, would be more escort services. Um, so there's a lot of websites out there right now. I'm sure a lot of individuals are familiar with Backpage, which was taken down, but there are a lot of other websites that are available. If people know where to look or want to play on the dark web, they can find actual sites where they can um, find these escort services that can then fulfill these needs for them. Uh, problem being that a lot of the escort services are not the way that they appear online. So we see these pictures of individuals who are dressed beautifully and are very attractive and look completely willing um, participants, but that isn't always what the real, the real picture. Um, escort services would be our number one um, situation where we find individuals being trafficked. The second would be more the pornography field, which involves everything that individuals think of when they think of pornography. So we're talking online sites, we're talking videos, um, we're talking all of the different ways that we can sell sex. Um, this is an easy in for a lot of individuals to end up in the trafficking field because they are approached in a way um, that is 
hey, there's some quick money that you can make. Uh, lots of times it might start as dancing at a club um, and they're doing that willingly and they're making great money. But then, hey, we've got some side gigs. You know, you're really great. Everyone's really interested in you. You can make a ton of money. You know, think about what you could do. And we're talking about vulnerable populations who are going into these situations. Lots of times, maybe a single mother or an individual who is a, uh, recovering uh, from some kind of substance use or actively using. So they prey on these weaknesses and then they use these things to control and coerce this individual and keep them in their grips, so to speak. Um, so another, I'm just gonna kind of go through the list here and then we'll focus more on the depth of all of it. But illicit massage businesses are another thing that we see with a lot of uh, sex trafficking that's kind of going through those those places. Now, granted, there are all, always the reputable massage parlors that we can visit, but there are some then that are not. And the problem being, it's hard to tell the difference. So um, we have some outreach groups who do this work on their own here locally. It's really amazing work that they do. They're called the 411 Collective. Um, they're actually a Christian-based group, but they go out and meet these individuals where they are. So they go to the massage parlors, they go to the clubs and they bring them baked goods and they establish some rapport with these individuals, show them there's a community that sees them and that cares about them. And that might be able to offer supports if they choose to. Um, so lots of times people find themselves in these situations unknowingly. Most individuals who are experiencing trafficking don't identify as victims. Um, another business, so to speak, that we see kind of out in the open would be um, actual brothels, which people think is some old school language, but they actually still do exist to this day. And then just basic outdoor solicitation is another thing. And so, you know, in this case, when we think about what sex work used to be called um, prostitution is what we used to refer to that to more commonly. And we talked about certain areas where you could actually find people on the streets that's unfortunately still a thing as well. Um, so trafficking, escort services would be the highest percentage of individuals who are being sex trafficked come from that line of work specifically. Second would be the pornography business. And then third would be the illicit massage parlors. This is not to say that this is all that sex trafficking is composed of because that's not the case at all, but it is a big it is kind of, it just gives you an idea of where sometimes um, this is rooted, how it begins, because it often begins as a legal job. It often begins as I'm going to go here and work for my money and I'm going to earn a living. And then this individual is exploited due to their vulnerabilities that they have when they go into the line of work. Um, when we talk about how, how do people end up in these situations? Who pulls them in? I think a really su surprising fact is that most commonly it is their uh, family or their caregiver, um, which is tremendously sad on every level because uh, people who we trust, who are in our world, who we expect to care for us, provide for us, we don't expect to then manipulate us and uh, coerce us into this sort of be behavior, this sort of work. So when it happens, it's a very 
gradual process. Uh, it's not something that just happens overnight, so to speak. It's more of a conditioning. There's a grooming that actually takes place. And another thing that's really important to mention is that when we talk about sex trafficking, we are not only referring to adults. Children are trafficked as well. Um, at really unfortunate um, numbers. And that happens even here locally. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about where and what it looks like in a little bit. But the real thing that I want everyone to understand is that children cannot consent in any way. So there is no sex work that would ever, ever, ever involve a child willingly or being able to sell sex or any kind of sexual um, behavior in any in any form. Um, anytime a child is involved in this situation, it is automatically sex trafficking. For adults, that's not always the case. Uh, and that's where it gets confusing for a lot of people as well, because sex work is an actual job. And there are some people who are willingly participating in that line of business and are not doing it under the control and coercion of a pimp or a family member who is then taking, you know, the, with their earnings, whatnot. So, so there's there's some kind of uh, confusion there as well that I just wanted to clear up. Children can never, ever be a part of that in a willing manner, but adults can be. And there again is where we receive a little bit of pushback when we encounter people who sometimes I, I know from them describing their situation to me are experiencing trafficking. But when I mention it to them, they will push back with, well, that's my, you know, those, those are my parents or that's my intimate partner. That's my husband. Um, we see that overlap more than not, that it's someone that they know and love. So they don't identify that individual as a perpetrator. They don't identify them as a trafficker. They identify them as husband, dad, brother, uncle, coach, friend, mentor. Um, so the lines become very blurred and traffickers will use that, that imbalance of power in the relationship as a way to maintain the control over this individual. Um, so family caregivers, number one recruiter to bring people into the work. And uh, number two on that list is intimate partner. A lot of people are surprised by that, but I will tell you that the overlap of domestic violence and trafficking is very, very significant. When we look at a power and control wheel, which we know really makes up all of the different spokes, so to speak, um, that feed into the cycle of abuse, the cycle of violence. We know that that same wheel applies often to our individuals who are experiencing trafficking. So using things like threats of, well, I'm gonna make sure I'll call CPS, I'll tell them what you're doing, I'll have your child taken away or I'm going to turn you in. I know that you've been using, I'm, or, you know, threats of violence. Sometimes it is just an act of, of actual physical force that will terrify an individual. And what a trafficker will do is come in quickly and smoothly, provide you with all the things that you need, fill the voids for you. Um, I'm going to give you a couple examples here in a minute, but it, it's an interesting approach to 
to assess an individual, see all of their weaknesses, decide how you can fill those gaps and then exploit that, so to speak. Um, but that's what happens in domestic violence and that also happens in trafficking. So intimate partner being number two on a recruiter list isn't, isn't shocking to someone who does my work, but I think it's shocking to the public in general. Um, number three on that list is employer. So uh, oftentimes, like I said, you will, an individual will take a job and legally take a job. And this might not be in the sex industry, so to speak at all. This might be working at the mall. This might be working at the subway. And they take a job and then their manager gets to know them and or the person who owns the store, the person who runs the store, whatever it might be, um, uses that as a way to build this relationship kind of assess their needs, this individual's needs, and then say, hey, I got to wait. I know that this, I can't pay you more here, but there's this opportunity where you can make really quick money if you're interested and pulls them in. Um, it's an interesting dynamic in a professional relationship, but unfortunately we see that as well. And um, just to break down a couple other ways um, that they recruit, uh, one, of course, is the internet. And another big one is social media. Uh, during COVID, we saw uh, rates jump significantly when it came to recruitment online, particularly of young people. Uh, this happened, of course, because everyone was isolated and because people were home and were online all the time. Kids particularly had lost all their social connections. It was an ideal time to strike, so to speak. And they took advantage of that. So we watched uh, rates jump, I think, by 22% in that year, which is significant when you're talking, it was like 30% the year before. And then we're up to, you know, 52% of the recruitment for young people, you know, taking place on these platforms. Um, there's been a lot of things that have been put in place to combat that. The Polaris Project, uh, which is a national trafficking organization, they have the um, hotline for human trafficking, the national hotline. They have if they have initiated a, a whole different way to communicate with these young people, allowing them to use chat features, allowing them to use text. So they're trying to beat the traffickers, so to speak, by opening these lines of communication so that when kids are in these positions where they think, huh, this is a little weird or this might feel a little strange, they have an opportunity to reach out anonymously for free without consulting with someone like me, without coming to an agency like mine and having to even have the conversation with the teacher or parent, they can access these um, these these helplines um, on their own, which is very helpful as well. Uh, lots of different risk factors in general go into trafficking. Um, so when we talk about different risks, one of them is recent immigration. Uh, individuals who do not have the proper documentation to live comfortably in this country are often uh, marginalized in, in a lot of different ways but then exploited because of that. So, you know, for example, um, I believe the, the stat was 72%. 72% of immigrants come here on a valid visa of some sort, whether it be for work, whether it be for school, whether it be for travel, 
whatever it might be, they come here legally. They then engage with an individual offering some kind of employment to them, or they're recruited before they come here for some kind of employment that they believe is a legal job that they are coming to take. And then they get here and find out that that's not the situation at all. Um, oftentimes they're told, look, we're going to give you some place to live. We'll take care of everything. We know you're not going to have anything when you come to this country. No worries. We have this amazing space set up and you can come live here for free while you work and get yourself established. We'll help you keep all your documentation current so that your status remains legal. We'll make sure that we submit all the proper forms so that we can help you get to citizenship. And then they don't. And then when it comes time, this individual says, wow, these living conditions are terrible. This isn't at all what I thought I was going to be doing. I didn't know I was going to work 18 of 24 hours a day and have barely anything to eat. I didn't know I wasn't going to be able to contact my family or I didn't know I was going to be sold for sex or domestic servitude. Um, they try to leave. And when they leave, try to leave, lots of times the trafficker says, well, where are you going to go? because you are now illegal. You are no longer here legally. You are now here illegally, which means you have to stay put. I have your documentation. I didn't submit the paperwork I told you I was going to submit, and now you belong to me. And that's pretty gross, but it's also very, very effective. Um, another risk factor is mental health. It's uh, unfortunately, um, often used against individuals who experience trafficking. The clients I serve most of the time have um, experienced trauma of um, a lot of different sorts, but with trafficking victims, that's even, um, it's even more common for them to have a past history. So that's more of the vulnerabilities that end up being exploited, but Child abuse of any kind, unstable um, home life, uh, lots of people who have grown up in a home where there was domestic violence that occurred, uh, all these sorts of generational things that are put upon them um, then leave them in a situation where they're struggling with mental health and a trafficker will capitalize on that. Um, substance use is another risk factor in its truly one of the most effective ways to keep someone stuck is to, um, if they are not already using or addicted to substances, the trafficker will introduce those substances to them. When in, someone is working and their job is selling sex and they are doing it unwillingly, that in itself is torture and trauma. And if there is a drug available that can numb them through that process and let them not feel it a little bit more, um, oftentimes they will hold on to that. And the trafficker knows that. And so they start feeding them a drug that really helps them make more money off this individual, but then also helps them keep that individual stuck because addiction is hard and it's hard to get the help that we need. And uh, people can get lost pretty quickly. So substance use is one of the most effective ways, for sure. Um, another risk factor is unstable housing. I um, have had 
more than one individual I've worked with who has been recruited directly off the streets. What more vulnerable population can you exploit than someone who is living literally on the sidewalk? You know, just to say to them, hey, it's super cold. You want somewhere to stay tonight? Yeah, this looks like benevolence. This looks like kindness. And when you're desperate and you're cold and you're hungry and you're scared because it's scary to be out there like that and you see someone who comes to you and offers compassion it's pretty easy to say absolutely let me go here and it looks good and sometimes it is good in the beginning but then it turns into something else um one of my clients was actually directly recruited out of a homeless shelter so uh the individual came there and stayed a couple nights and got to know her, knew that she had a child that she'd lost custody of and wanted desperately to get back, knew that she was in recovery from substance use. And that has what, what led to her homelessness she was experiencing and um, stayed there, went so far as to stay in the shelter for two nights with her. And then she said, you know, I got to get out of here. I need to get, okay, well, I can help you with that. She was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I know people. I have friends. We'll get you some clothes. We'll get you some food. I, I, They might even help you get an attorney so that you can get your, your child back. And that all sounded great. And she went. And she ended up being there for almost two years. She ended up witnessing a murder. And being a witness uh, meant that she had to be relocated because of gang activity that was involved. And that's how she became our client is because fleeing that situation in general, but also fleeing the danger that came along with just being associated with this individual. And she went there truly thinking that this man was starting a relationship with her. When I started working with her, she still called him her ex-boyfriend. Um, even after all of that, that was that deeply ingrained in her. And some of that too, I think comes from a place of really just not understanding how they got from point A to point B. You know, it, it looks to them in their mind more like an abusive relationship than it looks like an actual trafficking situation. Um, so another huge risk factor, when we're talking about risk factors, this is a really big one too. It's runaway homeless um, young people. So, you know, when we talk about kids who are often trafficked, it's typically not the children who come from a caring, supportive home. It's more often children who are struggling in school. Um, struggling with connections, either socially or with their family, struggling with mental health issues of their own, have had past traumas in their lives, uh, oftentimes might not identify as straight cisgender. There's a, a huge market for LGBTQ plus individuals when it comes to trafficking, particularly young people. And there are a lot of kids out there who don't feel like they fit in in any particular way are looking desperately for an adult who might accept them and offer them the guidance that they want and need. And they're preyed upon based on this, unfortunately. Um, and as we talk about LGBTQ community, I just have to also mention intersectionality because it's a thing. Intersectionality is 
the idea, the concept that there are some people who truly have more cards stacked against them than, than other, other individuals. So when we talk about a 16 year old, for example, who is part of the queer community, but is also a person of color, add to that unstable living situations, maybe a parent struggling with addiction or a parent who's incarcerated, add to that childhood trauma. There are all of these layers of marginalization that are stacked on this individual. A trafficker knows that, sees that, and then uses that to their advantage, which is very, very sad and makes it really, really difficult for these young people to unpack. Because once they are in a situation where they might be identified as a victim and someone is explaining to them this, they also in the back of their head are thinking, but this is the only person that's ever really accepted me. But this is the only person who, who got me off the streets, or this is the person who rescued me from my abusive home. Um, oftentimes they feel like their trafficker has saved them in some way or another, and they feel indebted to that individual. Another, another thing, I guess, let me just want to tell you about um, Rebecca Bender. And I recommend that anyone who's interested in learning about trafficking, look her up, find the YouTube video because it's great. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about her story. Uh, Rebecca is uh, a beautiful, um, very intelligent, very vibrant woman who came from an incredible family in Oregon, I believe, uh, or Utah, maybe somewhere out West, and was raised, you know, was in beauty pageants, uh, was a high school honor student, did all the right things and found herself pregnant after her senior year of high school. So she had to make a decision whether to keep the child or not. She chose to keep the baby. The boyfriend left her, went on to college. Rebecca was a single mom. And Rebecca had an infant, but she still wanted to have some kind of life experience. She didn't want to stay in her hometown, so she relocated. She relocated to a college town where all of her friends went, and she moved there with her child. And she met a guy, and he was very nice and very handsome and had a great car, had all the right things. He told her he was a music producer. He told her that's why he was gone all the time on the weekends. And that he had to go down to Vegas or to Seattle to uh, promote these shows and promote these artists that he was working with. All sounded very legitimate. Uh, Rebecca fell in love with him, took him home to meet her family, who were very strict. They loved him. Her daughter loved him. He uh, showered the child with attention. Um she, she says, actually, the saying, if you take a child by the hand, you take the mother by the heart. And this man truly used that as a way to um, really pull Rebecca in. She wanted to have this life. And he said, OK, we're going to move to Vegas. I'm going to take you and I'm going to take your daughter with me. We're going to move to Vegas. And they got to Vegas and he pulled up in front of an escort service. And he said, OK, here's the deal. I filled your fridge with groceries. I put first month's rent down on a place for you and your daughter to live. I bought you all these clothes. I bought your daughter all these things. You need to go earn it back. And she was terrified. But she thought, he, I do owe him. He has done this. She was confused. She went in. Um, long story short, 
He continued, you know, as she pulled away and said, no, I don't want to do this. He began threatening her child. And um, she says in one part of the, the little clip that you can watch, you know, um, when someone is threatening that if you don't come home with $3,000 that day, they don't care if you were raped. They don't care if you were robbed. If you don't find a way to bring that money home, they're going to have your child out on the corner. She said, you'll do anything. And she did. And she was arrested numerous times and just kept slipping through cracks. She kept getting charged with prostitution um, and she was being heavily trafficked the entire time. And um, she did get away. And now she has this story that she tells and she has a beautiful life. She's got five children. She's written a book. She speaks all over the country. Uh, but, but that is oftentimes what it looks like. It, it doesn't look like I'm going to do this dangerous thing, or I'm going to take all these risks. It looks like, Hey, I fell in love with this person promised me the entire world and then ripped the carpet right up from under my feet. And I found myself just flailing and, um, we'll do a lot of things to survive and we'll do even more to protect our children and the people we love. And so oftentimes that's what a trafficker will do is threaten the things that we love most, the things that matter most to us to keep us uh, stuck, so to speak. So when we talk about things that we can do as a community to help combat this issue, you're doing it now by listening to this podcast. Um, you'll do it again by telling anyone what you heard today or by hopping on Polaris Project uh, to learn a little bit more about what this looks like. Um, I train law enforcement officers and um, individuals locally. And one of the, the main things I hear from people is, is this really happening here? This isn't happening here, right? And yes, it is. And um, so much so that if you get on Polaris Project and you look at the heat censored map, you can barely see our portion of the state because we are covered in the yellow and the orange and the red okay so it's happening here and it's happening here for a lot of reasons and one of them is that we really are the crossroads of america um we have interstates coming here from chicago from louisville from nashville from st louis from cincinnati there's all of these different big cities that are pretty in pretty close proximity and we are located in this part of the state where we're quick jump to Illinois and a quicker jump to Kentucky. So it puts uh, traffickers in a great position to move quickly if needed. And that's something that they do. Um, so yes, not only um, educating yourself and understanding that it is happening, but understanding that it doesn't look like the Taken movie, that it doesn't look like a lot of the uh, things that we sometimes see. It's not the woman in chains or the child in chains. There are chains there, but they're invisible chains. Um, these individuals are bound emotionally and, and due to a debt that they believe exists that is not real, that their trafficker has created for them. And um, the best way to really, really help is to educate others on what it looks like and know for yourself so that you can make a difference. And if you see something or you think something feels off, I encourage you to call. Call the National Trafficking Hotline if you'd like. Call local law enforcement and just say, hey, this is what I've noticed. What is this? Should I be concerned? Is there someone else that should be involved? And if there's a child involved in this, please always err on the side of caution. Call DCS right away. 
uh, that that should we are all mandated reporters in the state of Indiana. And if we think for one moment a child might be in danger, it's our ethical responsibility to make that call right away. So anyway, I just rattled off a lot of things. I really, really appreciate you guys listening. And I hope that some of it might be eye opening or encourage you to learn more for yourself. Thank you so much for sharing. And you hit the nail on the head. What I was going to say is how eye-opening. And, you know, I was literally um, just told about the 411 Collective or 411 Collective, like just a few days ago, like I'd never even heard of it. So I'm looking forward to asking them to be on the podcast so that we can learn even more. But if anyone has any questions, um, if you need help or you know someone who needs help, by all means, please, please, please reach out to Albion Fellows Bacon Center. That's what they're there for, the police, you know, DCS, all of the things. See something, say something, you know, you could potentially save someone's life in this situation. So um, thank you so much for being on the latest episode of this unbelievable life. I'm so grateful for you and, and the knowledge that you are spreading. And I thank everybody for listening today. Take care and have a blessed and wonderful rest of the day.